Old Testament reading this morning is from 1 Kings 19. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, and then we'll go over to Romans chapter 11, 1 through 6. This is after Mount Carmel. Elijah was so brave and facing down the prophets, false prophets of Baal. Then he kind of loses it a little bit as he's being chased by Jezebel and others. And he gets to the point where he's just wondering, is there anybody left? And we could relate to that. We'll be talking about that this morning. And the Lord assures him that there is. So 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 9. So Elijah, he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel. This is God's people. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God said to him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it, and he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left And they seek my life to take it away. And down to verse 18. The Lord said, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's go over to Romans chapter 11, please. Romans 11. Paul here is speaking about his fellow countrymen, the Israelites, wondering about their salvation, how God's going to work in them. And he says this, beginning in verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? When he appeals to God against Israel, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what's God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Amen and praise God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you once again. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this word in our hearts and our lives by your spirit. We know that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit who 
gives us wisdom and understanding. And I pray, Lord, though, that you would be pleased to use your means and that you would work your word, Lord, through your people into our hearts, that you would be with me, that I deliver your message, Lord God, again, for your glory, always your glory, and also to um, help us, to help us grow, to sustain us for our good as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we talk about in uh, Romans 11, really timely, I guess, because of the time that we're living in, thinking about Israel. Has God forgotten his people? Is he going to do something with them? We talked about that last week in our introduction. And just the bottom line on that, you know where I stand. And I believe where Paul is preaching and teaching, where many of the Puritans agreed, uh, reformers agreed, that with Israel, they will be brought back into their land, and there will be at one time before the Lord returns an outpouring of grace and many, many coming to him. So we'll be talking about that, especially in the next couple of weeks. But for this morning, I really want to focus in on this idea of the remnant of God's people, how he keeps a people for himself in the midst of a bunch of people who say they believe in him and trust in him. Yet within that, there is his chosen, his faithful. Now, this isn't something like the Seventh-day Adventist, some mystical kind of remnant type of thing. No, this is about who God's people are. And that's what I want to speak to, especially this morning. The privilege, the duty, the characteristics, the whole idea of God's people. He keeps a remnant for himself when everything else seems to be falling apart. Even people you thought believed, you know, they were so trusting in the Lord and they're just kind of leaving. What's going on, right? We could see this in, in Elijah. So that's what we want to speak to today. But as we get there, again, is God at work saving the Jews? Yes, absolutely. But not the way that we might think, that we might hope, that even the way we may want to. And that's going to unfold in the next couple of weeks. Here, Paul, similar to Romans 9, he does answer the question about the remnant with the doctrine of election. And he will go on to talk about the nature of the church, how the Gentiles are grafted into the church, what a privilege that is for us. Finally, he'll go back to the hope of a great number of Jews being converted to him. So, has God rejected Israel? Paul's saying right away, no, he hasn't. Look at me. I'm the first example that he hasn't just cast out Israel. They're not all gone. He chose me. Paul himself is a prime example, a descendant of Abraham, a physical line, and the subset there, the tribe of tribe of Benjamin. So, yeah, he's really a physical Israelite Jew in that way for sure. True Jew in Jesus Christ, absolutely, but there are the physical descendants. Yet, what he realized by the grace of God is that that did not save him, and that's a big deal. It doesn't matter if you're born in a Christian family, raised in the church, born part of the covenant community as such. We never take for granted the salvation of anybody. We always preach the gospel as we're teaching about the grace of God. Great advantages in that way, but we never take it for granted because Paul, for all his work, all his strict, rigorous practice, did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. Paul said, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God, violently tried to destroy it, and was advancing in Judaism beyond all, beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Philippians 3, 5 and 6. Paul talks of speaking of himself. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. I mean, very strict. He knew his stuff for sure. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. So he's bringing out his credentials, all these kinds of things that he was doing, saying, look at me, God, right? Here's what I'm doing for you. But that was not going to save him. Actually, what that does is it leads to legalism, number one. Number two, it leads to fierce rejection of God and his people. That's what it actually does in the end. So you appear to be holy on the outside, doing all these things, working so hard, but you're actually rejecting the God that you say that you love because you're not relying on him. You're not looking to his son by through by grace to be saved. So it leads to that ultimate rejection. That's why you have so many kids growing up in the church. By the time they get high school age or college age, they are just out of there once they have that kind of freedom. Not truly converted in Christ. First Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He realized that because he was a chosen uh, member of the by God, used as a vessel, saved by grace. First Timothy 1, 13 through 15. Paul says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. See, on the one hand, on the one side, I'm doing all these things. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, learning, advancing. But he knows that's all trash. He knows that's all rubbish. That can't save you. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. By the grace of God, he saw that he was the foremost of sinners. If you don't see yourself as foremost of sinners, then you know that you're not, you don't have the grace of God. If you see yourself as somebody who says, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm working hard for the Lord. I think I can make it if I just do my religious activities. Then you're not. You're like Paul was before he was converted. Okay. In that way. So. He is saved. He's part of that remnant, the smaller group within the larger body. And when he talks here about the remnants, truly uh, his people, and he uses them to actually advance the kingdom. So he wants to encourage Paul saying, look, there's, there's going to be those outwardly say they believe. They really don't. They're going to go away. But I have my people within the that group. He uses Elijah as an example. We just read from 1 Kings 19. So you remember Elijah with Ahab and Jezebel. And he was, at this point, he was on the run. He was scared. They had killed the prophets. We saw that boldness on Mount Carmel, but then he kind of lost his courage, became discouraged, went into the cave. The Lord confronts him. What's he say? All, you know, Israel's gone. They're gone. They've killed the prophets. They've forsaken your covenant. These are your people, Lord, and they're, they're, away from you. They're not living at all for you. They're doing just the opposite. And then he had this idea, I'm the only one left. And we can get that sense, can't we? Because there's so much um, apostasy around us. You can really feel this way, like, look, where are the faithful people gone? But then the Lord says, I have kept for myself 7,000. I have my remnant. I have my people. I have my chosen ones that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So when we see so many people right now, even in our time, we see so many people rejecting the, the, the faith, renouncing, deconstructing. We don't need to despair. And that could be the tendency, but don't. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ because he has his people and he's going to use them and work through them to bring forth his kingdom. Amen? Praise God for that. Don't get too far down. Don't get, don't feel sorry for yourself. Oh, you know, nobody believes. I'm the only one. No, 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 no. No, he has us here for a purpose. 
And he, and he's going to keep us and use us. He winnows out, he weeds out, and he uses his people to bring forth his purposes and his kingdom. There are going to be times when trial, trouble, testing come, and those who are merely professing Christ, but unbelieving, they will turn away. Some of your own friends, some of your neighbors, some of your family members that were in the church, that is what's going to happen. And that's just the reality. That's the pattern of Scripture. That's a pattern through history in God's church. We see that time and again, and we're reminded of that right here. But God is faithful. The ones who leave were almost destruct. They're like the ones who look back to Egypt when the Lord rescued them from their slavery, from their bondage, after a little while when trouble came, what did they say? They said, oh man, I remember Egypt. They, I, we, we had it back then. We, we were okay. Forgetting their bondage, forgetting they were in chains, forgetting they were slaves and treated miserably. Worshiping, made to worship false gods in that way. And yet they look back. They prefer their bondage to freedom, the fish, the melons, the onions, and the leeks to obedience. That's That happens today. It still does. Oftentimes there's rejection pretty much on a large scale. We see that from time to time in church history, in history of the church, but always a remnant that remained faithful, not because we're faithful in ourselves, because he keeps us and gives us faith. We're faithful. He maintains his witness. Do you know early on in the late 1800s, early 1900s, after the Enlightenment, or, you know, as the Enlightenment was taking hold, the, the age of reason, the age of science, there were many mainline denominations, Presbyterian, mainline denomination, Methodist, <clears throat> um, Lutheran, mainline denominations. It was, it was popular, it was becoming very much, um, in vogue to, say, look, we can't really trust the the inspiration of Scripture. And this is from theologians now and professors at seminaries and pastors behind pulpits saying, we live in an age of reason now. We have science on our side. We really can't believe in those miracles like that. You know, the, the full inspiration of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. No, you know, we, anybody who has half a brain doesn't believe that anymore because now we have science. Now we understand. Now we have evolution coming into the picture. We have all these, you know, everything's turning around. So there's great, great, great pressure to conform to that. And so many did. So Union Theological, so you can just name seminaries, denominations, churches that just gave into that and said, okay, well, maybe this isn't fully the Word of God. You know, it might contain the Word of God in it. It's a good lesson for us, but it's not inspired. It's not inerrant. It's not infallible. It's not sufficient all the way. And there were battles and there was pressure. But even at that time, God had his remnant. God had his people that said, no, this is the word of God. And we will not give in. And he, praise God, preserved his people in that way. So you had men like Charles Hodge. You had men like B.B. Warfield. And of course, John Gresham Machen, who wrote a wonderful book on Christianity and liberalism. It holds up today. It's, it's amazing. But you had those people within the broader church saying, no, 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 no. But here it is, yes, and we will stand. And God used that in a powerful way. I think today, right now, we're seeing a huge, we are seeing, I don't think, we are. We're seeing huge defections. People deconstructing their faith, 
progressives coming into the church, denounce all but denouncing the faith. That's really what it is, bottom line. They're denouncing the faith, the true faith in the word. From COVID to critical race theory to LGBTQ, we've seen a world of compromise, capitulation, affirmation, and acceptance of sin by so many professing Christians. We're living through it right now. I hope you understand that, and I hope you know that. And we feel like sometimes like Elijah, for your people have forsaken you, Lord. I'm the only one left. It seems like that at times. There's just a wave of all this coming into the churches. Oh, just a wave coming over. It's almost like a tidal wave, not just from the outside world, absolutely, but even now within the walls of so many churches. And we can get that tendency to feel like, oh, man, we never want to be haughty or cocky because we're always just one inch away from apostatizing. We're held up by his grace. So it's nothing like that. But it can feel at times, Lord, who else is there? The churches. A lot of you are here right now. Before COVID, our church was about half this size, right? But you saw what happened in so many churches where they were giving in, where they were going along, where they were bringing CRT and LGBTQ. We have families in this church because of that. And that's what the Lord does. He brings his remnant together. He brings his people together. And that's what he is doing. So, We tend to feel alone. Look at verse 4. He says this, and this is so important. Lord, they've killed the prophets. They've demolished the altars, verse 3. I alone am left, and they seek my life. But look at verse 4. But what's God's reply to him? What does God say to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's 7,000 men, the remnant, his people who have not. That is sovereign election. That's his hand. Otherwise, we would go astray. We would leave it all in a minute. But by his grace and by his mercy and his sovereign hand, he said, no, I am going to keep you. I have my people that I keep for myself. That is language of election, to be sure. That's astounding. It's amazing. It's reassuring. It's encouraging. It's an encouraging statement of fact, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has kept his people. When everything else is closing in and falling down around us, and we're wondering, what are these people doing? Why are they saying that? Five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, they weren't saying these things, but they're doing it now. This is why. This is why. We continue by his grace. A remnant And again, I'm using that in its broadest sense, in the ultimate sense, that of the true church, the body of Christ, not just those chosen out of the world. It's not like, oh, here's the world, and we're just like a remnant that's saved out of the world. No, 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 no. It's not necessarily out of the world's population, but those truly converted among the broader church. That's what you have to understand. We're always warned continually about not falling away, not being on the broad path, about watching out for false teachers coming in to the church. It's those that are faithful, not the merely professing Christians, because there are so many people who say, oh, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I profess Christ. But they truly are not. Not everyone who calls themselves Christian is truly converted. So he has his people, 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Have you bowed your knee to Baal? No, you have not. You're going to stand strong, stand firm. Now, there's going to be consequences for that, to be sure. But this is who we are because he keeps us. There's nothing special about you if you remain faithful. It's by his grace and his mercy alone. And that's what he's saying. I have kept 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Then he goes on in verse 5. So too at the present time, Paul says, there's a remnant 
chosen by grace. But if by grace, it's no longer on the basis of work, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. So there's still a remnant at this present time. That's how he operates. That's how he works. Paul's saying it's the same thing as in Elijah's day. The remnant, those among the larger group, right, who've been taken out, who have been chosen, who are elect by grace. So even in Israel, again, we'll talk more about this next week, in the next couple of weeks. Even in Israel, God was saving his people. Think of Pentecost. How many came to faith? Thousands came to faith on that day. Predominantly, most of those were Jewish people. Later on, you had many of the priests coming to faith. So in Acts chapter 6, in verse 7, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. See, those are the Jews. That's that's happening there. His remnant. So here are the Jews. Here's the, the covenant people given all the oracles, all of that. But with many of them were unbelieving. So within that... You had a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, his people in that way. So he always has his people there. Unlike the crowds, remember in John chapter 6, so many people followed Jesus. If you remember, he had just fed the 5,000. He fed 5,000 and went across the lake. And so people followed him. They wanted, you know, presumably to be with Jesus. What did they really want? Do you remember? What did Jesus say to them? Do you remember? Anybody? Yeah, they wanted bread. He just said, you're not coming here because you want me. Because you, you want, you're coming here because I fed you. You want the benefits of that salvation, but you don't want me. And he understood that. So as he's going on and speaking to them, he's, he's teaching them. And ultimately he makes, uh, a, these statements that, that speak to ultimate commitment to Jesus Christ. When he says, if you want to be a follower of mine, you know what you need to do? You need to eat my body and drink my blood. Now, again, not literally in that way, obviously, but that means a full commitment to Jesus Christ that I am yours. And what did most of the people do at that time? They they walked away. Wow, this is a hard saying. Who can believe this? You're asking too much, Jesus. You want too much of me. So I'm going to walk. And then what did Jesus say to his disciples? You want to go too? You want to go? And what did the remnant say, represented by Peter? To whom shall we go? Where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Son of God. That's the remnant. Those are the ones he keeps. That's what we need to remember. We're going to walk away. We are his. The broader group rejects Christ ultimately. They might honor them, honor him with their lips. Remember, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me, man. You could do all the duties. You could say this. You could say that. But when it comes right down to it, you don't want me. And you're going to go. At one point or another, you're going to go. 1 John 2.9 tells us this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. You see the redundancy, the repetition there. These people really seemed like believers, didn't they? They were there. They were there. They, they were listening at Jesus' feet. They were shaking their heads. Yes, they were doing all this. But when it came down to it, ultimately, they walked away. You could really seem like you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When Judas betrayed the Lord, what, what did the other disciples say? One of you are going to betray me. What did they say? I, I, I bet it's that dude. I bet it's Judas. Is it me? Am I going to betray you? 
They had no clue. Judas was just like one of them. He carried the money. He was, he was just like one of them. You see, the religious community around Jesus, they want Jesus, but they want Jesus on their own terms. You cannot have Jesus on your own terms. He sets the rules. He tells us. He gives us the expectations. He gives us the commands. He gives us his demands, and we are to follow that without question. Do you understand? So many people, especially in our day and age, they think they could play around with the Lord. They want Jesus on the... They want selective obedience. Okay, yeah, I'll obey in this area, Lord, but over here, hmm, that's a little too much. You're asking too much of me, Jesus Christ. You want me to give up what? You want me to stop doing what? You want me to live in this way? I... I love you, Jesus, but man, I, I can't do that. See, that's, that's, a, they're gonna go. That's selective obedience, and that's a characteristic of the, of the larger group in that way, not the remnant. They want a Jesus who gives them permission to sin, an affirmation of sin. It's happening right now, big time in so many churches. One example, low-hanging fruit, but it's a still a good example, is same-sex marriage, union in that way. How many churches are saying, it's okay. Yeah, Andy Stanley, he's the biggest preacher in the United States right now. Go listen to a conference he had about a couple months ago. It's making waves, but this is exactly what he's doing. Well, functionally, functionally, exactly what's happening. Affirming this. These are the ones who refuse to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You refuse to count the cost. So, when pressure comes, you will crumble. When the pressure comes, they will compromise the word. They will capitulate to the They will bend to culture. They will so quickly lay aside the word of God so as to maintain personal peace and security. Oh, let's just keep it together. Let's have a, you know, kind of, kind of a, just a veneer of, of a relationship or whatever, whatever it is in that way. Let's keep the relationship by compromising God's word. Let's, let's not get too deep in it. I'm not going to go that far. You know, now you're asking too much of me, Jesus. No. They refuse to count the cost. Jesus said, you count the cost of what it means to follow me. Are you ready to give everything up? If they come and take your house away from you, if they fire you from your job, if they come to kill you, are you willing to follow Christ? So many want to maintain their personal peace and security. Some are playing. Some people are just playing. Uh, this, it might seem good for the now to, to kind of have Jesus in my life. And it could be advantageous, you know, Occam's razor kind of thing. You know, it, if it's, if it's true, then it'll be a great thing and wonderful. But, you know, I'm not really putting all my stock in this Jesus stuff, but I'll try it out. It can't hurt, you know. Others are more sincere, like the rich young ruler who was very sincere in his heart. But eventually, all will reject him. Do you understand? That's the broader. That's the, that's not the remnant. That's the broader. They will bow the knee to Baal. They will offer the pinch of incense to Caesar. Their church will be committed to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're, they're, they will see a union between two men or two women as blessed by God. Okay? That, that's a, these are, these are indications, obviously, more than indications. Remember, even as the gospel right now, right now, is being rejected within the church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about within the church, man. It's being rejected. It's being compromised. And it's being mocked all around us. How dare you have the uh, trans, 
transvestite readings in church on the altar and have little kids come up and hear stories from that. What, where have we gone? What's going on? It's absurd. It's beyond the pale. Being mocked. But understand that God is working. He doesn't see, listen to this. He doesn't simply keep a remnant, but his power is displayed through his faithful remnant. That's the thing. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'll just save you out of the remnant. Okay. That's, you know, amazing. Thank you, Lord. But you have to, he uses that remnant powerfully to accomplish his purposes. That's a privilege that we have as believers. That's why you want to give everything you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you give your whole life to Jesus Christ because he loves you. And he's using you to bring forth his purposes. Do you understand that? We're soldiers in that army. Never take that for granted. Never just take play easy with it. This is our life. He is our life. His people, his remnant, haven't bowed the knee. We don't bend under the pressure. His people refuse to be complicit in sin, to compromise the word with the world. We will not do that. You better not do that in Christ. You will not do that if you're in Jesus Christ. His people act in faith, and yet with full confidence in Christ. It's not like a blind faith or just a faith that we muster up. It's a faith that he gives us, and we use that, don't we? Yes, amen. His people have bold proclamation of the gospel and yet a completely humble spirit. We don't go around bashing people. We plead with people. We let them know what awaits them apart from Jesus Christ, that hell is real, that they need a Savior. We proclaim that boldly, that you need Jesus Christ, but we do it with all humility because we're sinners who've been saved by the grace of God ourselves. We deserve his wrath and punishment. So we, we're we bold in our proclamation, but we're completely humble in spirit. His people are brave in action. We take that action. We get down there. We'll be in front of the abortion clinic. We'll be before city council. We'll be in the, in the neighborhoods, and we'll be preaching. Brave in action, yet fully dependent on his strength. We know we can't do it in our strength. We're vessels. We're instruments in the hand of our Redeemer, but we're going to be faithful. We're not going to stay in our little pietistic world, just, you know, between me and you and la-di-da. We've done that for, oh, these many years, and look what it's gotten us as Christians. We need to be, that's that sphere of sovereignty. We need to go in wherever you're working. You bring Christ with you. You're standing, you're a teacher. You bring Christ with you. We bring Christ to the nations. Enough of just being in our own little huddle. We've been in that huddle for way too long. And look what's happened. His people are willing, yet absolutely reliant. That's what we need to be. Those who bring the light of the gospel into the deepest darkness that's all around us. We need to do that. Other churches are failing right now. They're capitulating. Oh, you're that way? That's why everybody's welcome here. doesn't matter. We're not going to challenge you. We're not going to do... We can't do that. We love them too much, and we love the Lord too much to do that. We need to be men of honor and courage and women of dignity and grace. He accomplishes so much through a faithful few. That's the pattern in Scripture. That's the remnant. That's who he works through, his people. And you know why oftentimes it's so few? Because his power is magnified and his name is glorified. He doesn't need a million people to come. He needs a faithful few. 
just like the 300 that ended up in Judges chapter 7. I'm not going to go there, but I just wanted to remind you of that. But listen, we need to be faithful to our calling, that remnant, those people that he set aside because he does use us. Do you remember a few examples? What about Esther? What about Esther? Remember, Mordecai and Esther were used mightily. What did Haman want to do? What was Haman's goal? Anything new? No, we just heard it the other day on television. We want to exterminate the Jews. That was Haman's big plan too, right? Esther was hesitant about going in to see the king, to go into his presence without being called. Because if you went into the king's presence without being called, guess what would happen to you? Maybe. What did she do? See, the faithful, the remnant, the ones who belong to him are going to do what she did. Esther, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Because she was wondering, should I even go in? He's saying, look, if you go, don't, don't think if you go in, you're going to be okay. That's a big mistake the church makes and people make all the time. If we just kind of let it go, if we just appease, it'll be okay. No. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your household's father will per- you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are in such a time as this. We are in such a time as this. Remember Micaiah, the prophet? He's a prophet at King Ahab's time. Ahab hated that guy. He hated Micaiah. Why did he hate Micaiah? Do you remember? Yeah, Micaiah wouldn't tell him what he wanted to hear. Listen, all the other prophets in Israel, all the other prophets in Israel told the king exactly what he wanted to hear. But Micaiah, the remnant, the true believer, told the king what he needed to know, and that was the truth. And that's why the Ahab especially couldn't stand Micaiah. The apostles, the 120, that ragtag bunch in the upper room, the faithful. Not long after that, just in a few years, what were they doing? They were turning the world upside down because they were brave, because they were preaching the gospel, because they stood before kings and magistrates and they proclaimed Christ. And they would not be refused, even though they were persecuted, even though they were chased out of Jerusalem to Samaria. What did they bring with them? They brought with them the word. And that's how the Lord used to spread it. That's the faithful remnant. That's his people. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Apollos, Timothy, Titus, Aquila, Priscilla, Phoebe. It goes on and on. His remnant, his people. True believers. And listen, here it is. We will be challenged. The the, the remnant. Because a lot of people are going to just say no. But within the church, within the broader church, the remnant, the true believers, will be challenged. And you will be severely challenged. We are being severely challenged right now to remain faithful when faithlessness abounds among so many professing Christians. So that makes you an extra target. You want to get along with the world? You want to get along with the church? Just kind of go along with everybody and things that are happening around. Oh, well, that's okay. As long as they love each other. As long as it's okay in that way. Oh, they're not really that bad. Is that really sin in that way? Go ahead. The remnant will be challenged. You'll feel pressure from the church. Oh, you guys are those radical dudes. You guys are the far way out there, you know, whatever pejoratives are going to use about us. You know, you're the right-wingers, man. You're the 
You want to abolish abortion. Okay, that's you guys. Right? Get ready. Get ready to take a biblical stand while others bow out. It will feel like we're alone. We're not. But at times it's going to feel that if you take a biblical stand and you're not playing these games. If you're a Christian out there putting it out there on the line, putting the truth on the line, it's going to feel like it because there are going to be so many others afraid to speak the truth, right? Because it's shh. You're going to speak up while others keep their mouths shut. You're going to go forth even, if, even as others stay behind. And you're going to exhibit integrity, purity, even as so many others in the church have lost their inhibitions and have just given in to their loss in their pursuit of personal happiness instead of true obedience to the Lord. That's a fact. You're going to preach the gospel plainly while so many others all around us have watered it down. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He's knocking at the heart, your heart of the door. He wants you to open that door up, right? It's, it's just up to, come on, come on in. And, and you know, he's pleading for you to come all. What are you, what are you waiting for? Like, like Jesus, some poor, you know, beggar out there, depending on you to come to him. But what kind of gospel is that? Where, where's that? You know, water down. They don't call sin, sin anymore. Sin is not sin. You're not breaking the commandments. You're not a thief. You're not a liar. You're not an adulterer. You're just a person that's made some mistakes. Shucks. We've all made mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We've all failed. We're not calling sin, sin anymore. We've lost that. We've altered the message. And there are many churches right now that have abandoned the message altogether. They're afraid. They're afraid to tell people what the truth is because they want their church to grow. They're afraid to tell people what the truth is because they want to gain members. I don't care if every single one of you leave if we're telling the truth. And I mean that. I don't want you to leave. But we're not going to compromise the truth because you may leave by God's grace. Because I'd be tempted to compromise the truth because I'm weak like that. Yeah. They've abandoned altogether. Love, affirmation, and acceptance has replaced repent, believe, and receive. No, not for God's remnant, not for the truth, not for those who have not bowed the knee to bail. Have you bowed your knee to bail? Are you so afraid that you're giving in? Because it's, it's, it is his remnant that he keeps, but it's individuals as well. And he brings those individuals together. He's doing that right now. We're not the only church. So many churches that are remaining faithful, you're seeing people come into those churches from churches that have lost their faith. It's an amazing thing that's happening right now. We're, we're part of that for sure in this church, but, but it's not simply not us. That's for sure as well. God always keeps a remnant for himself. Those who have not bowed the knee to Baal, no matter what the cost. No, I will not. A relatively small number of faithful ones. Not because we're faithful, but because he's faithful to keep us. Amen. Always remember that. Nothing special about you. It's because he's gracious towards us. Instruments in the hand of their Redeemer. That is you. If you believe and you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, if he's your savior, if there's nobody else but him in your life, if you've repented, if you believed, if you received, if you've rested on Christ Jesus for your salvation, then there's nobody else and there's nothing else, including you, including your wants, including your needs, including what you think. No, we are 
Lord, I'm an instrument in your hand. You use me to say what I need to say, to do what I need to do in order to be faithful to you, no matter what the cost, if it's the truth and it honors and glorifies you. Amen? That's our call. That's our mission. That's our goal. It's never self-serving. It's never worrying about us. What can you do for me? No, I'm here for you. Use me as you will. And then you'll see the blessings flow. That's because we're serving him, whether we live that, whatever. We're blessed in him in that way. That's the remnant. That's the thought. They haven't bowed the knee. He has his people. Within greater Israel, he has his people. Now, next week, we'll talk more about this, more specifically about the Jewish nation, how the Gentiles are grafted in, and the relationship in that regard as well. But I want you to know this for this morning.